Welcome to the market sponsored by the CME Group. Dateline, Scottsdale, Arizona, Friday, December 28. Hello again, Orion Samuelson here with you for our weekly visit dealing with markets on Wall Street and in agriculture. And I don't even know where to begin this week. Holiday shortened, but boy, talk about fireworks on Wall Street. We certainly saw that. So that's where we'll start taking a look at what's going on. A little bit later, we're going to discuss agricultural markets for the year 2018 and a look ahead to the year 2019 with one of my favorite analysts, Rich Feltis, of the R.J. O'Brien Company. He is in Nashville, Tennessee, but the company is based in Chicago. So we'll get to that just a little bit later. But first of all, Wall Street. The S&P 500 ended marginally lower today in a choppy session, but major indices posted weekly gains for the first time in December. Following a wild few days of trading that saw stocks rebound from a prolonged slide, major indices moved in and out of positive territory during the day today, action that was emblematic of recent volatility, though lacking today the huge swings of the week just ending. And the Dow finished modestly lower while the Nasdaq did manage a slight gain. And with the year coming to an end, investors will be watching some key U.S. economic reports next week, including manufacturing and employment. One analyst said at the end of the trade today, it's just maybe nervousness with another short week coming up. There's a lot of potential for moves one way or the other. We have got a lot of data coming in next week. Thursday's trading was marked by a stunning reversal late in the session to build on a rally that started on Wednesday with the biggest single-day percentage gains for the indices in nearly a decade. The week started off with Wall Street's worst-ever Christmas Eve drop, pushing the S&P 500 to within a whisker of bear market territory. Another analyst in Boston said the market does seem to be forming a tradable bottom. In the last few days, and even including today, you're seeing investors come in and starting to look for some bargains. So the Dow Industrial Average dropped 76 points today to end the week at 23,062. The S&P 500 lost three points to end the week at 24.85. And the NASDAQ added five points for the week to end at 65.84. For the week, the S&P 500 up 2.8%. The Dow added two and three quarters percent, and the Nasdaq gained four percent. But even so, the S&P 500 was on track to drop more than nine percent in December, which would be its biggest monthly percentage decline since February of 2009 during the throes of the financial crisis at that time. Concerns about 
Trade tensions between the U.S. and China, instability in Washington is underscored by the partial federal government shutdown and slowing U.S. corporate growth continue to worry investors heading into 2019. But the recent slide in stocks means valuations are more reasonable, while some market watchers said this week that Wall Street was becoming more confident about the Federal Reserve's approach to interest rate policy and monetary tightening. The rebound in stocks this week comes as investors may be rotating into stocks from bonds. U.S. fund investors added $5.2 billion to equity funds in the first net positive flows for such funds this month, while bond futures saw $8.3 billion in outflows. In corporate news, Tesla shares up 5.5% after the electric car maker named Oracle Corporation co-founder Larry Ellison to its board in response to a demand by U.S. regulators for independent oversight of company management. And Dell Technologies returned to public markets nearly six years after the company's founder and chief executive, Michael Dell, took it private. So indeed, there was more than enough to fill the Curiosity Library this week on Wall Street. Oil was involved also in some uh, sharp moves, but today oil prices steadied after a week of volatile trading ahead of the New Year's holiday. It was supported by the increase in equity markets in the U.S., but pressured by worries about a global glut of crude. And so today, Brent crude futures rose four cents to settle the week at $52.20 a barrel, and U.S. crude futures up 72 cents today to settle at $45.33 a barrel. Both benchmarks posted third straight weekly declines, with Brent losing about 3% and U.S. crude nearly four-tenths of a percent. So let's look ahead to another holiday shortened week coming up. And uh, perceived safe havens like utilities and consumer staples, often an afterthought in Wall Street's cascade of year-ahead investment recommendations each December, are emerging as top picks as stocks limp into 2019. Growth-oriented sectors like tech or communication services have typically dominated year-end roundups of investment ideas. But an uncertain economic outlook and concerns that the bull market's roar is morphing into a growl have more Wall Street banks telling investors to play it safe. A Reuters analysis of 2019 outlooks from 10 major financial institutions found eight, including Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, and Barclays with, quote, overweight ratings on at least one defensive sector for 2019. And that marks a big change from last year when just two banks favored any defensive sectors. Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, for instance, has moved its rating on utilities to overweight from underweight. 
Utilities offering 6 to 8% total return with a lower level of risk might actually be a good place to be in an environment where volatility is rearing its head, according to one analyst looking ahead to next week. NASDAQ, of course, now in a bear market, having recently slid more than 20% from its record high in late August, and the S&P 500 earlier this week, just a stone's throw from bear territory. Defensive sectors may benefit from an expected slowdown in the pace of Federal Reserve interest rate increases in 2019. Because of their higher dividend yields, defensive stocks are seen as bond proxies and do poorly when interest rates and bond yields are on the increase, as they were through much of this year. But the Fed now seen throttling back on rate hikes and benchmark 10-year Treasury yields have retreated to around 2.75%, down by roughly half a percentage point from an early November high. So a lot to think about and maybe to worry about as we leave 2018 and head into 2019. Also, an interesting note on the trade war between China and the United States, because the trade war resulted in billions of dollars of losses for both sides in 2018, hitting industries including autos, technology, and of course, above all, agriculture. Broad pain from the trade tariffs outlined by several economists shows that while specialized industries, including U.S. soybean crushing, benefited from the dispute, it had an overall detrimental impact on both of the world's two largest economies. One analyst said the losses may give President Trump and his Chinese counterpart motivation to resolve their trade differences before a deadline on March 2. The U.S. and Chinese economists each lose about $2.9 billion annually due to Beijing's tariffs on soybeans, corn, wheat, and sorghum alone, according to Purdue University agricultural economist Wally Tyner. We're going to look more at the agricultural commodity trade and some new moves by China once again. So stay with us. We'll talk about that with Rich Feltus when we continue on the markets sponsored by the CME Group. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. We're going to have to make this happen more than once a year, so we'll start working on that in the new year, but it's a pleasure always to talk to Rich Feltis, the analyst and strategist and whatever else you can call him in the marketplace, who is with R.J. O'Brien based in Chicago, but Rich, we're talking to you this morning in where? Tennessee? Yes, just out of Nashville, Tennessee. 
And as we look back at the year just coming to an end, any major surprises? I guess that's pretty obvious, but what were the surprises for you? Well, I think the degree to which in the middle of the year, I think July 6th marks the date when the U.S.-China trade war, uh, you know, exploded onto the scene. Um, Trump, I think, taking on the Ronald Reagan mantra, uh, if not now, when, if not me, who, in terms of uh, addressing these long overdue uh, abuses by China in trade, uh, but the extent to which it uh, impacted our ag markets was certainly a major surprise. And uh, I would say secondary to that, Orion, was the degree to which uh, Brazil, with their record soybean crop of last year, was able to step forward and uh, meet uh, a great deal of Chinese needs and continues to supply soybeans to China. Uh, we were... Uh, a supplier of in the low 30 million tons of beans to China the prior year. Uh, this year, even with these recent purchases now, it's still less than 3 million tons. So that's really been a major event in our marketplace. I, I think another surprise, uh, Orion, in light of the 15 million ton reduction in last year's Russian wheat crop is the extent to which the Russians have been able to uh, continue to supply, be very aggressive, the low-priced supplier of wheat in the world. Um, and again, last year's wheat crop down 15 million tons. I'm talking about the 17 crop. And uh, their imports uh, since the beginning of the marketing year, July 1, are actually higher than they were uh, a year ago. Uh, I would say another surprise was the volatility that we had in the crude oil market. We, have a, we had a $17 rally from Jan to the early octaves of about $77 a barrel, and then this plummet, a $32 break uh, into our late December lows. Um, that's certainly been an undertow to agriculture. It's been a drag on ethanol margins and actually paring back USDA's estimate of corn ethanol usage. And I think related to all of that, certainly the volatility in the Dow this 27,000 early October high that has slipped to uh, 23,000 area in early in, in late December, a 15% break. Uh, we're now back, you know, a little bit of a rebound. The dead can't bounce to where we were in mid-October of 17. But in any event, uh, the important thing here is this volatility in the crude market and the Dow, I think, has tended to push um, – some investment capital to the sidelines for people just wanting to, to see things settle down and ease out uh, before re-engaging. And that, I think, has to some extent hurt the evaluation of all commodity asset classes. Well, a current situation beyond the trade wars, and uh, I agree with you that how, how long could we do a $500 billion trade deficit with China? But now we've got the government shut down in this country. Is that having an impact on markets? Well, I think it, 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 to the extent that uh, information is the grease that drives and lubricates the wheels of price discovery, I would say yes. Uh, today we should have had export sales. This is on Friday. Uh, we're not going to receive those. We are also today supposed to have received the uh, Commitment of Traders report from the CFTC, we will not be able to look at that data. 
And I think this uh, regrettably has the unfair advantage of giving exporters, the people that are involved in the transaction of export sales, to have a little bit of one-upmanship in terms of market information. Uh, recall the great uh, Russian grain robbery ushered in the uh, the law that any sale over 100,000 tons has to be immediately reported to USDA and then relayed to the trade. Well, that whole information path has now been stopped up by the government shutdown. And importantly, for this upcoming uh, January 11th crop report, which is so critical, it's the final take on last year's corn and bean yields and what we're going to put out in winter wheat acreage and what our first quarter usage was in corn uh, and soybeans was. All that, that information, which uh, I think may have been supportive to the market, is now going to be uh, delayed uh, till some further date. Just from all of the public information, it would seem as if this government shutdown is going to go uh, well beyond uh, the January 11th crop report. So I think it just uh, makes it difficult to trade with confidence, and that, I think, also pushes players to the sidelines because the risk is just too high that when the plug is finally pulled and this information hits the market all in one gigantic splash that will have volatility that is just, you know, more than some fund managers want to bear. So let's talk about the best time to sell corn, soybeans, and wheat in the year coming to an end. What what time period was best to sell those ag commodities, Rich? Well, the high in the corn market, uh, uh, Orion, was late May. Uh, and then we had a prompt 80-cent plunge from June to mid-July. We rebounded somewhat since then, but certainly late May was the time to sell corn. In soybeans, we had a dollar rally from Jan to early March when we hit that $10.60 high in the front-end contract. And that was uh, uh, followed by a, a break in the soybean market of a buck fifty uh, into uh, uh, the uh, early spring months. Uh, the best time to sell wheat, interestingly, was uh, early July, uh, and that was followed or in by about a $1.20 break into early August. So, uh, very much unlike your typical seasonal patterns uh, in our ag markets, uh, but very much influenced by the events in South America. Recall, uh, Orion, that we had a uh, uh, a, uh, a break, a decline in South American soybean production last year of 25 million tons. And in uh, South America, though, despite the uh, good crop we had in uh, Brazil, the 18 million ton decline in last year's soybean crop in Argentina was enough to give this uh, soybean market, uh, you know, a real boost into the first quarter of the year, but then it quickly uh, fizzled. Now, looking ahead uh, to 2019, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, it's all going to depend in part on how these South American crops unfold and then how the U.S. crop growing season unfolds as well. And, of course, you never fool with Mother Nature, but the hurricanes, the floods, and the wildfires a long-term impact on crop production in the United States or not? Well, interestingly, and it's great that you brought that up because we did have a number of hits to uh, crop production in the U.S. with the excessive late spring, early summer rains in the northwestern Corn Belt. We had dryness, as you know, through portions of Kansas, Missouri, parts of uh, Michigan. Uh, in Orion, despite all that, uh, the corn yield between the uh, 
July and the November crop report inched higher and higher. It was up five bushels an acre through the season to a new record high, just short of 179 bushels per acre nationally. And the soybean yield between July and November went up three bushels to a new record high, 52.1 bushels per acre. And what a statement and a tribute to American agricultural productivity, to the new hybrids being brought online, uh, always upgrading equipment, more ground being tiled, crops going in faster, being pulled out faster. Uh, just amazing uh, the yield performance that we had a number of states uh, posting record yields in corn, Illinois, South Dakota, Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Nebraska. And for soybeans, uh, Nebraska, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, and Mississippi, all record yields. Um, uh, I think an impressive performance. And just a quick review of the weather. Although it was warmer than normal, generally this summer, uh, Orion, it wasn't hot enough to really pull these yields back. And in terms of precip, except for those areas that I mentioned previously, uh, rainfall for the summer was generally normal to above normal. So overall, uh, I would say an average to above average growing season, which, as I said, gave us new record high yields in corn and beans. And then we've got about two minutes to talk probably about the most important thing on farmers' minds. What's going to happen with the grain market in 2019? Well, uh, here's what we can say with some confidence. Uh, looking at the Palmer Index, the soil moisture base across the United States is certainly uh, well above what it was a year ago, more favorable, so the soil reserves are good. Uh, we also know that the field prep, because of the late harvest in many areas, is behind normal. Uh, it's likely, because of the corn-bean ratio, that we're going to see more corn um, and fewer beans, more so in your fringe areas, the northwestern Corn Belt, than in your core center Midwest areas. Uh, our commodity weather group team uh, feels that we're going to have uh, basically a normal to below normal uh, situation on precip for the spring, uh, but it's likely to be going to be a little cooler than normal. So we may have a little bit of delay in spring planning. It's likely uh, that we're going to see a rebound in wheat production in both Russia and Australia. Those are two big export uh, forces in the world, and that does not bode well for much recovery in the wheat market. Uh, your uh, uh, large banks and uh, energy companies are optimistic that the whole recession fear thing has, has been re uh, misplaced, it's been overdone, that the crude market is going to rebound. That should be good not only for U.S. equities next year, but also for uh, providing some support to the uh, to the corn market. And finally, uh, USDA, at least in their long-term projections from their baseline Orium, they're indicating that both uh, corn and bean prices should be up from uh, this current year in the new year because of declining carryovers. Uh, but my goodness, it all depends on the weather and what's going on in foreign weather as well. But uh, 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 I would say right now the, the markets have a fairly good base of support under them. Always a pleasure because I always learn something, Rich, and we'll do it more often than once a year in 2019, if that's okay with you. Absolutely, and always great talking with you, Orion. Rich Feltus, R.J. O'Brien, based in Chicago, but he's talking to us from Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. 
Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. As I mentioned before the conversation with Rich Feltis this morning, uh, there are some more favorable signs coming out of China. China has opened the door to imports of rice from the United States for the first time ever in what analysts took to signal a warning of relations, a warming, not a warning, a warming of relations between the world's two biggest economies. The green light from Chinese customs indicated in a statement posted on the Customs Authority's website today comes in the run-up to talks between the countries next month, and that will take place beginning on January 7. Now, it was not immediately clear how much rice China, which sources rice imports from within Asia, might seek to buy from the United States, but the move, which comes after years of talks on the matter, follows pledges from China's Commerce Ministry of further U.S. trade openings earlier this week when they do more than talk on the phone, when they come together face-to-face to talk trade and to talk trade issues. And uh, USDA on December 11th forecast total U.S. rice production at 6,930,000 tons, while Chinese rice imports were estimated at 5 million tons. So that's maybe another softening of the trade disagreement between China and the United States. As we look ahead into the new year, it's meeting time for farmers, and uh, they are getting underway fairly early. The American Farm Bureau Federation will be getting underway Saturday, January 12, and uh, at the closing session on Monday the 14th, Featured speaker will be Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue. He'll be speaking Monday, January 14th at 11.15 a.m. More than 6,000 farmers and ranchers will be gathering in New Orleans January 11th through 16th for the organization's centennial. That's right, 100 years of annual conventions. And uh, they'll be setting up policy and uh, their wishes to be submitted to uh, USDA and those in Congress. They'll be putting those together and out of the convention will come policy for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Now, the other event that takes place, interestingly enough, in New Orleans next year in January just starting January 31st, another major agricultural convention. The National Cattlemen's Beef Association will be gathering in New Orleans for their annual convention. That gets underway January 31st and goes into uh, the uh, first days of February. And of course, with the government shutdown, Uh, It's impacting some agricultural activities. We'll not be getting some of the reports that we would normally get 
if the uh, government was open 100% because uh, the USDA activities that will not be continued in the light of the uh, government shutdown, provision of new rural development loans, all recreation sites across the U.S. national forest system, most forest fuels reduction activities in and around communities. And then, of course, January 11th, we get the 2018 final numbers on agricultural crops and production for 2018. And uh, that probably won't make it either if we don't resume activities in the government uh, agencies like USDA. Well, as we look ahead to next week, again, the markets will trade normal hours on Monday, but then will be closed on Tuesday for the uh, celebration of New Year's Day. They will reopen for normal trading hours on Wednesday after the Labor Day holiday. And so gives traders another day or so to... uh, Think about what could happen when the New Year's holiday comes to an end and we do get back to normal trading hours on Wall Street and in the commodity markets like the Board of Trade and the Mercantile Exchange. We do appreciate very much your listening to us for this weekly get-together dealing with the markets. It's brought to you by the folks at the CME Group, who again continue to expand their marketing services for producers, not only in the United States, but around the world. And early in the new year, I'm hoping to uh, get Terry Duffy, who is the CEO of the CME Group, to talk about future plans for marketing options and futures at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Have a safe and happy and healthy new year. And I'm Orion Samuelson on the markets, sponsored by the CME Group.